Now taking reservations for your holiday party. They can help you plan a catered event at a number of locations, from modern banquet centers and nature centers to their scenic park lodges in Winton Woods, Sharon Woods, and Woodland Mound on the east side. Your Hamilton County Park District. It's a less stressful way to celebrate the holidays. Details at 521-PARK. That's Corporate Guest Services, 513-521-PARK, or at greatparks.org. The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, the nation's public radio source for real estate investing strategies and advice. Every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at WMKVFM.org. And uh, today's question and answer week. It's also the day before Thanksgiving. So, of course, many of you are listening while stuck in the lovely traffic outside here in Cincinnati with uh, all of 20-foot visibility and uh, cold, nasty rain coming down. But, of course, at the same time, uh, we need your questions here at Real Life Real Estate in order to have a program today because uh, Question and Answer Week is all about, well, name kind of says it all, doesn't it? You can give us a call at 772-9658 or at 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. And any question that you have about real estate investing, whether it's the buying, the selling, the renting, the managing, the financing, whatever, Give us a call or send us an email, askvina at gmail.com, 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. And uh, don't forget that next week after the turkey coma is over, on December 1st, Wednesday, the first Wednesday of the month, the wholesaling subgroup of the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati meets at 6 p.m. And the reason I'm announcing it a week ahead of time this time is that I know where the meeting location is. Last week I didn't so much, last time I didn't so much know that. And this time I do. It is at the Panera Bread in Hyde Park Plaza. All are welcome to that meeting. And uh, it's from 6 to 9 p.m. All about wholesaling real estate. And it is at Panera. Don't go to the other place, which I'm not going to say because if I say it, then that is what will get stuck in your head. 
If you would like to become a fan of Real Life Real Estate Investing, join our Facebook group at Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm sorry, Real Life Real Estate Radio. Real Life Real Estate Radio.com is the place to go. You can post questions. You can find out about who our next guest is. You can suggest upcoming show topics, which, by the way, uh, really looking for those for. 2011 at this point what do what do people want to know about uh real estate investing next year any guests that you'd like to suggest it's real life real estate radio.com you can join the almost 2000 members of that site and become ultra cool simply by joining it's question and answer week here on real life real estate investing and uh we're going to go ahead and take your questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. And, uh, of course, I hit my send receive button and a million emails come up and I have to sort out which ones are actually for the show. Uh, okay, here is a question from... Uh, Kathy in South Carolina. She says... I have a situation where I'm wholesaling a property and another wholesaler has come to me with a cash buyer. How do I assign my contract to his buyer and yet make sure that the other wholesaler feels secure that he is getting paid? Um, Kathy, that's that's a great question. And it comes up more and more often these days because uh, there's wholesalers out there who've been around for many, many years who have large buyers lists. And then there's wholesalers out there who've been around a shorter period of time and they have good deals, but not big lists to sell those deals to. And uh, of course, the, 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 the wholesaler who's got the buyer and the wholesaler who got the property have got to somehow split up the wholesale fee and uh, there's always the question of how am I going to make sure that I get paid and the the solution to that is to have your attorney create just a quick joint venture agreement that you sign with the other wholesaler that says and and by the way you probably signed this before he actually brought the buyer to the table uh, says that if the other wholesaler brings a buyer that whatever fee split you have decided on will then be uh, taken care of at the time at which you are paid your wholesale fee. Now, I've seen wholesalers do referral fees where they'll pay you know, $500 or $1,000 to someone for bringing them a buyer all the way up through 50-50 splits. I got the property, you got the buyer, we'll split the fees 50-50. And um, I think it is very much... Uh, up to you uh, how how you decide to handle that, but I would have a signed agreement. Um, Occasionally, I run into a wholesaler who wants to sell my property to his buyer, but he doesn't want to let me know who the buyer is until the closing. And of course, that that means, you know, he doesn't want the buyer to pay anything until the closing. It doesn't work for me. So when we sign this agreement that assures him that he's going to get paid generally, uh, it's all right at point. So there's your answer. Get a, get an agreement in writing. And uh, generally, it is easier for you to assign your contract directly to his buyer, 
Uh, of course, if he really, really, really doesn't want you to know who the buyer is, he will give you the assignment fee and you will assign the contract to him and then he will assign it to his buyer. So thank you very much for your question. If you have a question for Real Life Real Estate Investing today, give us a call at 772-9658 or if you're listening outside the greater Cincinnati area at 877-772-9658 or send an email at askvina at gmail.com. Again, any questions that you have, uh, we welcome them here on Real Life Real Estate. A question here from Marty in Seattle that uh, came in actually right at the very, very tippy end of last week's show. So we couldn't get to it. But uh, if you'll recall, last week's program was about using neuro-linguistic programming as a negotiation tool in real estate. And uh, Marty says, I understand that NLP can be a powerful tool when negotiating with an owner. On the other hand, I can hear when a telemarketer is reading from a a script Knowing your script and making it sound natural is important. Do you use how do you use NLP without sounding too techniquey or canned? And then he goes on to tell me what the weather's like in Seattle because for some reason every everyone who writes us from Seattle feels obligated to give a weather report because one time like four years ago I made some comment that every time I've been to Seattle it's been sunny and seventy five degrees, summer and winter. And this whole thing about it being the, 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 the you know rainiest city in the country is a big lie. But apparently it was raining last week. He said it was overcast in the 40s and drizzling in Seattle. But of course, he's probably just lying to keep people from moving there, which is my theory about why they talk about how rainy it is there. Um, <clears throat> okay, Marty, the, the answer to your question, and uh, actually Bill, Bill touched on this earlier, early in the program, in using NLP or any other negotiating technique or whatever that that you're trying to um, implement in in this process of talking to your seller is practice 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 and usually that means role-playing with someone that you it's not a seller you know that that someone someone that you know who will actually play with you and not just try and make you laugh and so on and uh, just doing it over and over again until you feel comfortable and it's it's nice if that other person is someone who can actually throw some legitimate seller objections at you so that you can practice dealing with those as well because uh you know you don't want it to be you don't want it to be a super easy role play every time because then that doesn't really prepare you to answer the questions when they come in uh okay let's see wow this is a question that i guess is, has become outdated in the 2 weeks since it was written in this is from John at Touchstone Properties, he says, uh, can you comment on the current bank audits going on? I was in negotiation on a property a few weeks ago that was pulled from the market due to the audit audits. No one can tell me when it will be back on the market. Uh, uh, he's referring, of course, to the fact that several of the major loan servicers in the country had back in early November through mid-November uh, stopped the foreclosure process on all of the foreclosures that they were servicing because they were finding internal discrepancies that was ca- were causing them to do things like foreclose on people whose, current, whose payments were current. And uh, that really only lasted about, I don't know, seven to 10 days, something, something in that range. And uh, you're actually the only person, John, that I've heard that said that the property was pulled from the market due to those audits because 
uh, short sales typically went on as usual during that process because uh, what they were doing was they were stopping the process of taking a property to the sheriff sale or the trustee sale. They were not stopping the process of dealing with properties that were currently in foreclosure. Uh, also, it didn't really do anything to the REO market at all during that uh, point in time. But uh, yeah, so so that's over and hopefully your deal is is back on the table now that uh, that that's all over. And it's been it's been very interesting to watch what has been going on in that that sort of field of these servicers who are not actually the banks who or not actually the investors who own the loans. And I am a little bit surprised that there has not been a much bigger deal made of the of the sort of scandal that that is brewing there. Uh, It's come out in the last few months, although it's it's been going on for a long time, that these loan servicers, and they're they're typically the big banks that you hear about. That, that they are they really are banks, but the reason they have so many of the mortgages out there is not because they made the loans, but because they're servicing the loans. Um, that they are not really all that interested in doing short sales, workouts, forbearance agreements, that sort of thing because it's not in the servicer's best interest to have that happen. If I can if I can give you just a hopefully 30 second rundown of of how this process actually works, all these loans that were made, whether they were subprime or prime loans and were packaged together and sold to Fannie Mae were then divided into chunks and the chunks were sold off to various investors all over the world. They were, they were what's called securitized. Also, there was a secondary, secondary mortgage market going on where uh, insurance companies and hedge funds and, and folks like that were buying blocks of mortgages. Now, the thing is, when I buy a share of, of, of Fannie Mae, okay, I'm not buying one-tenth of your mortgage. I am buying a piece of a big package of mortgages which means that when one of those mortgages goes bad, I, as the person who's actually holding the investment, I, I don't know anything about it. I don't, I don't even know what's going bad. At what it, the way I see it reflected is, is that my return goes down. But it would be in my best interest if there was a workout done on that mortgage, right? I mean, if you owe $150,000 and I own a piece of that, it's better for me to have you end up owing one twenty-five at a lower interest rate than it is for me to effectively pay for that property to go through foreclosure, sit around for two years before it goes back on the market, and then ultimately sell for $50,000, right? It's my best interest as the investor that the that the workout be done or the short sale be done. It's not in the loan servicer's best interest, however, because when one of the loans they're servicing goes bad, they actually get paid more to service the bad loan than they did to service it while it was current. So yeah, the if 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 the guy whose mortgage I owned a piece of called me and said, "Hey, can we do things this way cuz then I could pay." I'd say, "Oh, yes, please, let's do things that way because I don't want to lose my money." 
But when he calls the loan servicer and says this, they say, oh, sure, of course we can. All we need to do is is, is have you send us these 900 pieces of paper. And, oh, um, it looks like you're not qualified because uh, while we were processing these 900 pieces of paper, you got four months behind and that was too far. Or, oh, golly, while we were while while the while the loan was over in our forbearance department, um, we accidentally sent it all the way through the sheriff's sale. Oops. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's that's where the big bank scandal is. As far as I'm concerned, it wasn't in making the loans. It was in what's going on with them right now versus what the American public is being told. Oh, yeah, we're going to do 400,000 workouts this year. Yeah, I think we ended up doing like 47 total across the whole United States of America. In any case, John, hopefully that deal worked out for you. You're listening to Question and Answer Week here on Real Life Real Estate Investing. 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 are the numbers to call or you can... Send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Support for WMKV comes from the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati, a nonprofit educational association with programs available for real estate investors at all levels of experience. RIA meets on the first and third Thursdays of every month. More information about RIA and their meetings is available at 859-292-7342. Checking on traffic right now, we have an accident just reported eastbound 275 just before South 75's ramp. So that's in the Tri-County area, eastbound 275 just before you take the ramp to South 75. Uh, also South 75, an accident south of Hopple on the right shoulder. Liberty at Lynn, Winton at North Bend, Madison at Mark Bride, and Paddock at Seymour. And of course delays on the expressway. Just about every expressway is experiencing some delay this afternoon because of the wet weather and low visibility. Your forecast tonight, periods of showers continuing off and on. Tonight's low will be around 38. Then temperatures will rise uh, to about 50 after midnight with some more rain. On Thanksgiving Day tomorrow, uh, warmer temperatures, highs around 58, but uh, locally heavy rainfall, maybe even some thunderstorms off and on throughout the day tomorrow into and through tomorrow night. That's why the National Weather Service has issued a flood watch in effect uh, beginning tonight at 7 through tomorrow night. And then uh, Friday, uh, partly cloudy. Saturday, Sunday, sunny, but cooler. Highs only in the low 40s this weekend. Right now, uh, we are right around uh, 38 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Make it part of your holiday plans. The next WMKV Big Band Dance is coming up this Sunday, November 28th. It runs from 2 till 5 p.m. here at Maple Knoll Village Auditorium, located on Springfield Pike in Springdale. Plan to come on out, dance off some of those calories, and enjoy the splendid dance music provided by the Maple Knoll Big Band and the wonderful dance floor at Maple Knoll Village Auditorium. It's all open to the public. Free dance instructions begin at 1 p.m. with Jim Dennis. Snacks and drinks are also served. Dances are held on the 2nd, 4th, and 5th Sunday each month. And stay tuned to WMKV 89.3 FM for schedule updates and special events. It's a great time whether you're coming out as a single or as a couple or with a group. Volunteers are needed for the dances as well. The next big band dance to support WMKV is coming up this Sunday, November 28th. Ticket information or more details at 513-782-2427 or online at WMKVF. FM.org. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox, and it's a rather slow question and answer week today because uh, 
it's the day before Thanksgiving. Everybody's out turkey shopping and uh, not thinking about poor Vina sitting here on live radio trying to answer people's real estate investing questions at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. I did get one question from Matt in Pennsylvania. So what is the best way to stuff myself with cash and equity this holiday season? Thanks. Um, well, Matt, gosh, that's a, that's a, that's a question that it could take a five day seminar to answer, but let me give all the listeners out there one great, big, huge tip. Bank owned properties in this last month of the year, many, many lenders would just really, really love to get rid of some of those bank owned properties before it carries on to their 2011 balance sheets. And they are often willing to sell their bank owned properties even more cheaply at this time of year than they would at other times of the year. Now, the secret there is that you have to be clo- you have to be able to close those properties by year end, by December 31st. If you can make an offer to close some of these bank-owned properties, um, really they prefer before Christmas because that last week of the entire year gets very crowded for the title companies with people trying to uh, get rid of properties before year's end. Um, So yeah, if you have a good strong buyer's list and you know how to wholesale REOs and you think you can make your buyer's list react during the holidays, it's a good time to flip those. And uh, if you're looking for some cheap rental type properties to buy, that would be a good way to look for them. So um, cash or equity, Matt, you can either acquire the properties or else you can wholesale them if you have a good buyer's list that is going to react during this very busy holiday season. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's Q&A week. Send us your questions at askvina at gmail.com or give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658. Question here from Mark in Syracuse. He says, Excuse me, but what is up with these real estate agents? I had one go out one time, show me two or three houses, then wanted to know why and what was what was this trust I was using before she ever would submit a purchase agreement, and then turned around and told me she had to have $10 per showing. Is this behavior normal? <laughs> um, yes, John, uh, actually, well, except for, except for the needs $10 a showing thing, which is a twist on the I'm not working for you anymore thing, uh, which is the, the more common uh, issue that I hear with real estate investors and real estate agents. Um, you just have to remember, you are not the typical real estate agent's dream customer. Their dream customer is the qualified homeowner who's looking for a property in an upper end move up neighborhood and absolutely has to buy and has a strong pre-qualification letter and or cash to buy with and doesn't have time to look at more than four or five half million dollar houses before they sign a contract on one and by gosh are willing to offer more than full price if they have to to get the house that they want. That's the customer's dream the the agent's dream customer because uh, 
Real estate agents get paid as a percentage of the sale prices of the property they sell. Now, you, on the other hand, Mark, are somebody who is typically going to look at, oh, I don't know, 19 or 20 ugly, hideous, junker properties You're you know, in, in, in neighborhoods that just aren't all that appealing to most people. And then you're going to put in 19 or 20 lowball offers that where you're you're offering the 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 banker the seller maybe oh 30 to 50 percent on the dollar of what they're asking, and 19 out of 20 of those are going to be rejected. So this agent's going to show you 20 properties. You're going to get one accepted, and when you get it accepted, it's going to be well in Syracuse. You might be paying seven or eight or nine thousand dollars for a property, and they get paid three percent of nine thousand dollars as opposed to three percent of a hundred or two hundred or five hundred thousand dollars. So, can you see why they're not that anxious to, I don't know, work for free or essentially free? Now, here's the thing, Mark: the fact that she offered to show you properties for ten dollars a piece is is actually a good thing. I mean, if she's happy with that. And if assuming that you can, in fact, pay it, I think that's kind of a good compromise. She feels like she's not completely wasting her time. You get property shown to you and you don't have to run around and find a different agent. Um, I actually think that's that's pretty smart. And maybe if more real estate agents would do that, uh, more folks would would have real estate agents that would stick around. This thing about her needing to know why you were making the offer you were making and what the trust was and all that sort of stuff that, you know, real estate agents aren't trained to understand what it is that we do as real estate investors. They're trained to understand the whole home buyer thing. So uh, don't be, don't be too put off by that. But on the other hand, remember that the agent does work for you. You do not work for her. And to some extent, if she can't understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish, uh, you at some point have to say, look, I know what I'm doing. It works. You'll see that it works once we get an offer accepted. And I just need you to go forward with this the way I'm saying to go forward with it. So thank you for your question, Mark. And if you have questions, give us a call at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or you can send us an email at askvina at gmail.com, as did Rose in Cincinnati, who says, we are considering bidding on a short sale home that meets our need for wheelchair accessibility, which is hard to find. We've been pre-qualified by a lender. What should we consider before making a bid? Do we need a real estate attorney or can a reputable agent handle the deal? Now, Rose, the thing that you did not tell me, but I'm going to make an assumption here, is that this is a listed property. This is a short sale that is actively in the multiple listing service. And uh, given that fact, a real estate agent will be handling this deal. The, the, the agent who has listed the property is probably the one who has negotiated or is attempting to negotiate the short sale. The thing that you need to know about bidding on short sales is that it is by no means a sure thing that you will get that property even if you offer full asking price. I know that sounds ridiculous, but the fact is a lot of short sales are listed at a price that is market value, but which is significantly lower than the actual mortgage balance. So 
just to make up some numbers, if the mortgage balance is 200000 and the house is actually only worth 159 the agent may list it at 159 so that she can get an offer of 159 so that she can then go to the bank and start trying to negotiate the short sale. Now, if you heard my little rant a little bit earlier about the um, the loan servicers and how they don't especially have a lot of reason to do short sales. Not that they don't do them. They do do them, but it's not as important to them as it is to you. Uh, you probably heard that they they may not accept it. I mean, they just it just might not happen. If they do accept it, it might take a while. And frankly, they are they are uh, pretty likely to want to counter whatever your price is. They're pretty they're going to want to see you come up on the price. So you might want to go in at a little bit less than what you'd actually be willing to pay, so that you can go up four or five thousand dollars later on the process. It is not unusual for short sales to take five to six months, even when they are otherwise willing to do them. So uh, a, a good question to ask the listing agent on this property is, is the nego- is the short sale already negotiated or are you intending to negotiate it once you have an offer on the table? If, if they happen to say it's pre-negotiated, which is kind of rare, I, I'm guessing only 10 to 15% of the properties that I run across in the MLS that are short sales are pre-negotiated, then you know what they'll take and you can decide whether to bid accordingly. Uh, if not, then just be prepared for a long wait and a possible turndown, even at a full asking price offer. So nonetheless, very much do appreciate your email there, Rose. And uh, if you would like to ask any questions here on Real Life Real Estate Investing, Give us a call, 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Support comes from Hospice of the Bluegrass, Northern Kentucky, providing quality end-of-life care to residents of Northern Kentucky in their homes or in long-term care facilities. Hospice of the Bluegrass is the largest provider of hospice and palliative care to Kentucky residents. Hospice is all they do, so no matter how complex the case, their care teams are prepared to assist during the most difficult of times. More information at hospicebg.org. Hospice of the Bluegrass, Northern Kentucky's most complete hospice. Checking on traffic right now, we have a couple of problems on South 75 this afternoon. The first accident is around uh, Mitchell, and then a little farther down near Hopple Street. So two accidents on South 75, both on the right shoulder. Then we have the accident on eastbound 275 before the ramp to southbound 75. That's in the Tri-County area, and uh, on both shoulders, both sides of the expressway, there are some uh, vehicles off on the sides there, and that's slowing things up. Northbound Winton Road, south of North Bend, an accident. One lane is blocked. Also, Liberty at Lynn Street, an accident. Among the many delays, uh, eastbound 275 at Montgomery towards Corner, westbound 275 at Mosteller, north 71 at Dana Montgomery, south 71 Taft to the Lytle, north 75 at Hopple, and again at Shepherd, south 75 because of those accidents. Uh, lots of delays all the way from uh, Union Center Boulevard, pretty much down to the Ohio River. So uh, 275, or 75 southbound, very, very slow this afternoon. Your forecast tonight, uh, first of all, a flood watch in effect uh, tonight through tomorrow night. Uh, periods of rain tonight, a low tonight around 35, and then actually temperatures climbing after midnight. 
Tomorrow's high temperature will be about 58, but rain off and on throughout the Thanksgiving Day tomorrow. Uh, maybe some heavy rainfalls and some thunderstorms as well. And then that rain will continue tomorrow night, maybe even turn, turning into some snow showers, but no accumulations expected as we get down into the mid-20s. Friday, we dry out. Saturday and Sunday look pretty good, sunny, but chilly highs in the lower 40s. Right now, we're at 37 degrees here at 89.3 WMKV. Support comes from the Senior Citizens League, a national, nonpartisan senior organization reminding seniors that new Medicare costs begin on January 1st. Medicare Advantage plans may not cover all the extra benefits that they may have in 2010. They suggest shopping around for the best Medicare Part D plan based on your actual drug use. The Senior Citizens League newsletter is available. More information at T scl.org or 703-548-5568. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week, and uh, we're taking your questions on any aspect of facet of real estate investing at 772-9658 or 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. We have a question here via email from Michael who lives in Houston and this is is a little bit lengthy so I'm going to try and both boil it down and answer it here. Uh, He says, I just discovered your show via podcast about a month and a half ago and it is just what I needed. I'm trying to catch up on all the episodes Uh, and it's great to give the little guy access to the best in business. I am in my early 20s, an aspiring real estate investor. I have a background in finance, a real estate license, and am set on using using real estate as a tool to build wealth. However, not to be a cliche, but I'm having trouble getting started. I've been exposed to investing by my family, mainly in the Austin area, where college students can be rented within a day or two of posting an ad. I currently live and work in Houston, and while I have a down payment amount for a conventional loan on a $170,000 property in Austin, I would have nothing left, so I would rather qualify on an FHA loan as a primary residence here in Houston. That way I could put less down and more into repairs and then turn it into an investment property. The problem is I'm not comfortable or sure about who to target here in Houston, and thus what kind of property I should buy. There isn't a college student market here. So my dilemma is... Do you think it's better to purchase a more expensive property in an up-and-coming area, fix it up nicer, and bank on renting it out to yuppies? Are there still yuppies? Four. There's, there's four. Yeah, that was. I don't know how long it's been since I heard that that term yuppies. I guess to a twenty-year-old, probably everybody over the age of like thirty-five is a yuppie. Um, let's see. For almost, it's better to fix it up nicer and bank on appreciating uh, bank on renting it out to yuppies for almost flat cash flow while it appreciates. Or should I have faith in the tried and true method of targeting cheap properties that could cash flow, even though I'm uncertain if these properties can be rented and the types of tenants they would attract? Uh, well, um, Michael, I would start with the local real estate group, which in your area is called the rich club. It's a Realty Investment Club of Houston, I think, or Real Estate Investment Club of Houston, something like that. Uh, Anyway, it's the Rich Club. And the landlords in that group can tell you a lot about which areas are the easiest to rent, which ones are more difficult to rent. Um, At your age, I would probably be hesitant to buy the more expensive property and, quote, bank on appreciation 
because my guess would be that you probably need the cash flow and you could uh, obviously buy twice as many $80,000 properties as you could $170,000 properties and even better yet, buying those $80,000 properties for 40000 and doing hopefully a little bit of work to them and then renting them out uh, might be a really good strategy for you. Uh, the thing is, in in rental neighborhoods, things rent, and and that's what you're talking about when you're talking about these fifty to eighty thousand dollar properties in Houston. They're in rental areas. That's they're rental areas because people want to rent there instead of buy there. So it's not a question of will they rent. It's a question of how much will they rent for, and the, you can answer that by you know going to Craigslist, going to uh, any any rental magazine, any rental property site, and just sort of seeing what people are asking for properties in a particular area. Now, Houston happens to be an enormous metropolitan area, so there are going to be similar neighborhoods on the east side, the west side, the north side, the south side. Obviously, you want to pick one that's close to you and and sort of try and keep your properties in that particular area for ease of management. But the folks at the club can tell you what areas they think are, are, are hotter rental markets, less hot rental markets. I can tell you one thing about those sort of uh, low middle income rentals, because we're not talking about here about war zones, we're talking about Section 8 areas, is that four and five bedroom houses, oh my gosh, are so in demand we can't keep them vacant. I mean, if they're if they're fixed up to a, a a decent level, you know, all the mechanicals are in good shape. It's cosmetically attractive. It doesn't smell bad. There's no roaches or rats running around. It, in other words, it looks good and it smells good. It's not overimproved for the neighborhood, but it's it's nice. Uh, we get people knocking on the door asking to rent those while the rehab is going on, and we get tippy top rents for them right now. And that's of course because of the economy family members are moving in together. A lot of our tenants are, you know, it's mom and her 16 and 14 year old kid and also her 21 year old kid who has two kids of her own, or it's two sisters that each have two kids moving into the property and their combined incomes, of course, float it. Now, you have to be a little bit careful about this idea that you have in your head that student rentals are the good rentals and everything else is kind of a you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um, a lot of people would say student rentals are the toughest rentals that there are. And uh, you've had a good experience with it because your family knows how to do that. You, you, you don't get it stuck in your brain, though, that if there aren't any student rentals, then there's nothing good to be had in Houston. Rental neighborhoods are rental neighborhoods because people want to rent in them. So I, my suggestion, not sitting here looking at your checkbook or knowing any more about your situation than what you said would be more high cash flow properties as opposed to fewer high-end properties for appreciation. Okay, question here from Fred in Indiana. He says he's selling a free and clear investment property to an owner-occupant for $60,000. What would be the advantages, disadvantages, and items to watch out for if they are able to put $2,000 down on doing a land contract versus selling them the property and carrying back a mortgage. They have filed bankruptcy. They want to do remodeling, carpet to tile, etc. P.S. You rock and thanks for the podcast. Well, 
Fred, don't thank me for the podcast. Thank WMKV for the podcast. They're the ones who put it up there and pay the people to edit and maintain them. And remember that during Fun Drive next time, Fred, that you love the podcast and you want them to keep going on. Um, well, Fred, I'll tell you, the, 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 the main difference between a land contract, which is of course, an arrangement where they are contracting to get the deed at the future at a future point when they have completely paid off their loan balance to you, which in your case, they're starting at 60, they're giving you two down, that would be a $58,000 loan balance they would need to pay off. When they do that, then they get the deed. When you sell the property and carry back the mortgage, they get the deed the day of the closing, and you have a lien against the deed in the form of a mortgage. In Indiana as in Ohio and several other states, it's easier to repossess a property that is sold via a land contract than it is to repossess a property that is sold via a mortgage. Uh, and in, in Indiana is a, is a um, uh, I forget what kind of state they call it, when you can, you can basically do a longer eviction on a land contract versus a complete full-blown foreclosure, at least up until some point. So that is one thing to keep in mind. Now, tax-wise, for both you and them, they're exactly the same. In terms of their rights and responsibilities and your rights and responsibilities, they're exactly the same. The one difference being, and this is, this is why I would probably suggest the land contract versus carrying back the mortgage, if these folks have the deed to the house they can get additional encumbrances against that deed and you can't stop them. So if they went out and convinced someone else to loan them another $30,000 on the property, if they have the deed, they can do that. They can secure that second mortgage with a deed. Also, if they uh, don't pay their credit cards and they get a lien, the lien can be attached to that property because they have the deed. When they have a land contract, they have nothing with which to secure additional encumbrances. So that's the main reason that I prefer selling on land contract versus uh, selling on an owner-held mortgage. By the way, $2,000 is not a lot to put down on a uh, land contract. I mean, it is, I guess it's, it's over 3%, and if they are going to do uh, the remodeling, it's it's probably okay, but I certainly don't think I would give someone a mortgage for $2,000 down. I think I would want at least 5% down if I were doing a mortgage. Uh, as to the remodeling issue, just a, just a warning from my lengthy experience messing things up at least once before I figured out better. You want to put some language in that land contract that says that although... Uh, they can do repairs and maintenance and upgrades to the property. You cannot stop them from doing that. That anything that's going to require structural changes has to be pre-approved by you because I have had people that came into a property and had the brilliant idea that they were going to add another full bath to the house, for instance, which you would think would increase the value of the property, except this house was only an 850 square foot house total. And the way they put in the other bath was they took a um, an eight foot by five foot chunk out of a living room that was already only 12 by 12. And when we got the house back, which you're inevitably going to do when someone does something like that to it, 
uh, we had to take it all out because you had this ridiculously small and ridiculously shaped living room all of a sudden. I also had one who uh, decided that it would be really, really cool to have one of those pass-throughs between the kitchen and the dining room that, that they build in new houses. And I guess that they were picturing that there's nothing inside walls except walls. But when they cut the pass-through through, they discovered there's wires and there's furnace ducts. And their solution to that was to just sort of leave it there in the middle of the pass-through. <laughs> oh, and also, they didn't they didn't structurally... Um, uh, put new headers on the pass-through so that uh, this this giant hole that they had cut in the wall uh, was basically now a structural problem. So all I'm saying is it's great if they want to do repairs and maintenance. It's great if they are capable of doing repairs and maintenance, which is, by the way, something that you ought to check. But if it's anything beyond carpet and tile and things like that that are easily undone if they're done incorrectly, you probably want to have something in your land contract that says that that can only be done with your approval because it could in fact lower the value of your property. So that is the end of our second to last question and answer week of the year. Thanks for thanks to all the folks who were good enough to take time out of their holiday planning to ask questions here tonight and of course therefore give us a show. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. This is 89.3 WMKV, Renning, Ohio. Time for Local 12 News at 6. Lawfer and his family are on their way to Dallas for Thanksgiving. Neil worries how 12-year-old Josh will handle the security.